the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans born in this century, tempered by war, disciplined by a hard and bitter peace, proud of our ancient heritage, and unwilling to witness or permit the small undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed and to which we are committed today at home and around the world. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. For this episode, I had the honor and privilege of interviewing Army Major Kamal Kausley, um, and I'll, I'll play that interview a little later on for you guys. And we spoke about uh, Kamal as a Sikh, and we spoke about the the, the process of the struggle of Sikhs uh, not being able to serve uh, while being fully recognized as Sikhs in the Army, and that would include having their beards and their turbans. Um, so that's an interesting interview. He's, he got into a, l- a little bit of politics as well. Um, Typically, we stay politically neutral on the show, uh, but he expressed his opinions, uh, and, and I think it's interesting and it's valid, so uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, on with me right now is Bryce Mahoney, and Bryce is a former Army Ranger with the 3rd Battalion, Bryce? Yes. All right, so Bryce, I just want to thank you for taking out the time of your day to come on the show. Thank you for listening to what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so before me and Bryce get into our discussion, uh, I just want to say uh, Two Land from Ronin Tactics was in New York City. Uh, a few days ago, we had a successful uh, Blade seminar. We held it in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Athletic Club in uh, Williamsburg. And uh, it, it was a very cool event. It was successful. I actually took the course myself um, when I went to Colorado to kind of show me some of some some of the blade work. But after taking the class, uh, he definitely sold me on it, and um, you know I would be def- I would definitely be training a little more on that. Uh, and Bryce, I know you are very into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely into Jiu Jitsu. Been been pretty heavy with work, I would say, five to six years now. Um, knew about it. In, you know, I was in the military with combatives and, and got into it a little bit then. But had, really, really got focused on it when I got out of the military. But And do you focus on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or do you train a little bit of mixed martial arts? Um, I just focus strictly on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I uh, actually... Uh, when I first got into jiu-jitsu, it was in Korea. It was me and a couple other guys. We had really nothing else to do but watch videos and train. So we just 
watch jujitsu videos. We'd do the moves and then, you know, got into the, Hey, let's, we should try, you know, doing a little, little stand up, little mixed martial arts. And after a couple of chins and crumples on the floor, I realized that fighting <laughs> is not for me. So I'll just stick with the choking and the, and the joint manipulation. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's effective, you know, if you, um, it, you know, if you're in a fight, and especially against someone who's not trained and and won't recognize what you're doing. Absolutely. You know, like before before the other person knows it, they'll be on the floor with their arm twisted behind the head. You know, like it's it's uh it's interesting because I had done some very basic jujitsu, some very basic muay thai a couple of years ago, and um you know after a few months of of training, uh, you know I realized how. You know, if if you're if you're going up against somebody and and you don't know what they're doing, and they're doing jujitsu on you before you know it, it's going to be over. You know, absolutely. And I, I will tell you, I'll be straight up and tell you that I don't, I don't do jujitsu for self defense. Jujitsu helps me be more confident in a self defense scenario because what jujitsu really does for me is teach me to be comfortable at close distance and be uncomfortable at at farther distance. You know, as far as fighting is concerned. I want to close the distance on somebody as quickly as possible. So if I can avoid punching and kicking and get, get them close and then preferably to the ground, then, then they're in my territory now. So. Yeah. You know, all all the combatives training is interesting. And I think it's, um, you know, one of the things that two was saying at the seminar, cause he would, he would talk a little bit about some of the history of the knife fighting and, and, um, how his his uh program is is really a combination of different uh martial arts and it's not just one thing so yeah you know he's he spoke about ultimately how it's really an expression of of yourself you know and um i i just think it's very interesting it's an interesting way to train and it's not like you know going and just doing crossfit or just hitting the weights or whatever where you're you know, you're working out, but you're you're stressing your joints, you're stressing your muscles. It's a different type of workout, and I think it's um it, it trains your brain as well as uh, oh yeah, skill, you know. I mean, doing jujitsu, doing mixed martial arts, Muay Thai, whatever, is just as physically demanding as it, as it is physically. Did I say physically and physically? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I meant me- it's mentally exhausting just as much as it is physically exhausting, and. Uh, yeah, that's the joy of of it for me. It's that you you get into these fights and tournaments or with new partners and stuff, and you get caught, and then you're like, "Oh, okay, I need to train my brain to con- to do this without hesitation." And that's the beauty of a lot of this stuff now. A lot of these fighting systems or cl- c- close combat systems, we're seeing them effect- more effective because we actually have a formidable like enemy that some people are getting to use this stuff on, which we haven't had that in a really long time. So. Right. And I think, you know, as, as the wars stretch on and, and continue to, uh, be fought, I think more and more systems of, of any of of different type of martial arts, but they're being applied where they, where they fit in with certain units. Like Uh I know, um, you know, a very big, uh, an effective knife fighting system is called Kali. 
And it's, yes. it, it's a Filipino uh, originated system. Yeah, I've heard of this. And a lot of different soft units globally are hiring some of these um, respected trainers. I, I, they call them gurus in, uh, in Kali. And they're, they're hiring them out to, to train their units in, in, uh, in their system. And I think what a lot of guys do, like I've seen YouTube videos of some different uh, gurus, you know, talking about, uh, you know, different things that relate to their their fighting system. And people will comment like, oh, well, you know, it's not realistic and things like that. But what and what one of the guys responses was that it is um, it's it's an art. It's a form of expression. But it's also at the end of the day. You're training in a system, so that's what you're doing. Like, if you're, you know, everything is theory until you put it to the test. Absolutely. And and, and it becomes, you know, especially with Kali and stuff like that, where the training is adapted into a, a rhythmic thing. Like, if you have two people that are trained in Kali, they're going to rhythmically train together by being offensive and defensive in a in a flow state it's it's the same with a, a lot of martial arts i think what's so successful about jiu-jitsu is its ability to adapt to different things because the ultimate like end is is very very physical and very like out there you know like the tap like the submission is very that's cut or dry. Like, I have done something to make this person go, whoa, done. Right. And and not, you know, like karate or other points-based martial arts, the points are very perceptive because they're being judged by a third party. They're not being judged by the fighters. And whereas in jiu-jitsu, if we do a submission only, the only judges are me or him. Like, right. there's nobody to tell us. Uh, oh yeah, no, he won, not him. Like, nope, he won because he made me submit. He made me stop this match. And people are adapt. You know, jujitsu from what I what I started doing jujitsu to what it is now. I mean, has just it it's enhanced so much because people have seen where their their style or what they're doing is different. And I mean, it's just exploding. And I think that's a big draw to why jujitsu is so fun because it seems like it's never going to be something that you can learn everything for. Right. And it's, uh, you know, I noticed that with a lot of these different um, martial arts and, you know, over the last couple of days I've been doing some reading up and researching on, on Kali and the history of it. And there are so many different systems within it. And one of the interesting things that Tu always talks about, and uh, I think, I believe he said this on a recent episode that I had him on was, how you can, like, so you and me, right? We're, we're two different heights. We're, we have two different, uh, you know, our arm's length is different. Um, so what what might work for me won't work for you. Absolutely. So you have to adapt, uh, you know, the system to your specifications. And um, so it's interesting. And, and a, a little bit of what two preaches is, you know, what Bruce Lee was very big on towards the end of his life, which was like that style of no styles. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it's all interesting stuff. Um, so Bryce, let's talk a little bit about your career in the army. Okay. 
so you you started out and you went straight into the Ranger Battalion. Yeah, I uh, after basic and airborne, and then going through RIP in August of two thousand one, went to Third Ranger Battalion, and uh, pretty much hit the ground running. You know, September eleventh after that, and we kicked off a couple weeks later. And ended up doing our thing over there and coming home in December. So it was a pretty crazy first year of my of being in the army. <laughs> oh, so you were on that initial rotation into Afghanistan? I was, yep. I was uh I was my whole squad went on the October nineteenth Rhino, you know, objective rhino jump. Oh, except nice. me except me. <laughs> oh, I was shit. private Mahoney and he got scratched. So Oh no way. Yeah, it was it sucked. It oh, really man. did. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, I mean, because I was I was slated to go. You know, it was one of these things like, yeah, you're going, you're going, and uh, and then boom. Oh yeah, sorry, uh, we got to scratch you. Oh, that so, sucks. I mean, you know, he's like a, like he, a, like a puppy waiting at home for his master when they're coming back, just like. <laughs> and what? And that was the first uh, combat jump that was done in in what like fifty years or sixty years. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure on how long, but a, a really damn long time. You know, right, right. I mean, either but it was way, cur- that was a historic deployment. You know. Oh man, the the story before that, like we actually we actually got spun up like pretty quickly after September 11th, and we we didn't end up going, but it was you know, and and it might have just been like privates talking or whatever, but it, it was definitely like disseminated to us that we were going to like rig up and jump into Afghanistan and then basically be like on call, you know? And everybody's just kind of like, uh, all right, let's do that. You know? But then, you know, we got, we got sent home and then mission changed a little bit, but that, uh, that when September 11th happened and that initial bam, that, that really sent, a message home to everybody like oh shit this is serious oh yeah i mean once <laughs> i mean that september 11th really changed the you know the the last you know 15 years Whew. pretty much you know um it was like the starting gun to a marathon yeah and and you know people who signed up before that i guess things were i mean things are always you know throughout the world are always at, at a point where you know one or two wrong moves and a war breaks out or something like that. But um, I don't think anyone really saw that coming, you know, and, and <sighs> it really just completely changed the direction of, yeah. of the military, you know? I mean, it's so crazy to think, like, just of how many people I know that joined, that I served with, everything, you know? Like, I joined because September 11th. Like, I honestly can't say that. Like, I joined because I was a piece of shit 19-year-old that needed <laughs> to get slapped around my uncle was a SEAL, and I didn't want to wait to go to Bud's, and hey, let's go do this Rangers thing. When can I leave? Oh, I can leave in four days? Great. Get me out of here. Like, that's how quick, that's how quick it was for me. Like, I got, I got, I decided to go in the military February, like, 24th, or no, excuse me, January, like, the very end of January, and I was in basic training five days later. Like, MEPS, everything, Done. <laughs> wow, and and what was the deal with the seals at the time? You you couldn't go directly um, into the they, team? Yeah, at the time, you know, I went in. I talked to a naval recruiter, and apparently, like buds wasn't available. 
for like until you were in for three years or something like that. You know, there was no, there was no like basic training, tra- you know, individual training, and then like buds. You couldn't do that. You had to go to a, you know, a report to a ship or a report to a unit, and then try out for buds in three years. And it was like, I don't want to do that. What if I hurt myself in two and a half years? Right. Well, you know, I think that was kind of like the the uh, the peacetime uh, situation, you know, because I, I had a um, on the last episode, I had uh, Nate Boyer on and Nate was a uh, former Green Beret who but he he went straight in uh, on an 18 X-ray contract. Right. And what we were saying was, is the last time. You know, before I, I don't know exactly when they they made that available. Um, obviously, it was a little after the war started, but before that, that wasn't a thing since Vietnam. You know, no like, way. Like during you know during a war, and and you know how it is. Like peacetime, the military is different. Wartime, everything speeds up, and then oh oh, know. absolutely. I mean, I, I I firmly believe that the 18 X-ray program was started not to to get people in SF it's to, it was to get people to SF to fail so that they then they could go needs of army and then the army could go oh tough luck you're going to Alaska because no because <laughs> nobody wanted to go to Alaska or nobody wanted to go to these shit units so it's like hey uh you want to come into the 18 x-ray program and be a special forces hero yeah I do and pff, they don't belong there you know not 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 every one of them but there, I'm I'm fairly certain that the amount of adequate guys they were getting was not overly high. Oh right, you know, just like yeah. any, any soft unit, you know. Most, yeah, most man. people watch out of those selections. So, I mean, I just think back to my rip selection. You know, the first day, we we washed out like 125 people. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> so at the time when you went through, it was called RIP, and and now they changed it to RASP. I think. Yeah, yeah. RIP was Ranger Indoctrination. It was basically just a suck fest to see if you'd quit or not. Right, right. <laughs> now they actually train Rangers to be up to date because these guys need to be. These guys need to, are going to hit the ground running. They're going to be right into a squad that's got fourteen or fifteen deployments under their belt, and that dude needs to keep up. Right, and I know the, the Ranger Battalion, uh, the Ranger Regiment, is kind of unique in the in the way of, uh, you know, it's guys kind of get in fast, like the process is quicker than other soft units, but it's also easier to to lose your spot or or something like that. Because, Hell yeah! And I think that's part of what you know what what keeps the regiment, um, you know, at, at a, performing at such a high level. Aside from the constant deployments and all that stuff, you know, absolutely, man, it's harder to stay in regiment than it is to uh, to get there. Right, right, yeah. So I mean, so Bryce, can you share like a story with the audience? <laughs> you know, maybe like a war story or, or a time a story from your time in the military. I can, yeah. Um, should it be serious or should it be funny? Um, how about we do both? Okay. We will do, we will do both. All right. We'll start out with funny. So when I was in Lurse, we, uh, when I was in long range surveillance on our deployment to Iraq, we would do these missions where we would go like 
250 miles out into the middle of nowhere. We would have, uh, we'd have 15 days worth of food on us, fuel cans hanging from every possible spot they could on these vehicles. And we would just be this like pikey caravan going through the desert to get to the border, to do all this surveillance on the border. And as we all know, the army loved to dis- to take the lowest bidder on all things that it bought. the The Humvee was a was a great a great tool to teach us how to be five star mechanics. Yeah. And I mean, especially because not only is this Humvee only rated for twelve thousand pounds, but we've put ten thousand pounds of armor on it, and then we put probably another five thousand pounds of ammo, food, and people in it. Wow. So it's already batting a thousand to fall apart. So about every 15 or so miles, we would, somebody would break down in the convoy and we would be out in the middle. We would be so far out in the middle of somewhere that no, we, there was, there was never anyone around us. So when the truck broke down, everybody from that truck would get out and like do this whole like shuffle around the, uh, the truck, like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? And we had this, we had the internal mics that would play in our, in our trucks. So I got somebody to record me the Benny Hill theme. You remember that British comedy show? It was like, a it was, and, and on the Benny Hill show, that song plays while people are just like running around, like confused. So I, I would play this song over the mic every time somebody would break down That's and essentially hilarious. get out of their truck and you know, we get, we'd all get a good laugh and then we'd establish security and then one of us would fix it or attempt to fix it. And it's just, uh, it's funny just what can become of, you know, these long trips like this that are just so boring and just, especially in Southern Iraq where it's just the moon dust, it just clogs every orifice of your body And and trying to and that's driving through the actual desert itself. Oh man, driving straight through the desert, like no no pavement whatsoever. Wow. Yeah, I mean we'd we'd come up on we'd come up on wadis that were just enormous, and it'd take us fourteen hours to traverse this wadi. Wow, fourteen yeah. hours—that's crazy. Yeah, I mean it was it it was insane. Like we'd get held up, and then we. But then we started to realize that the, like a lot of the places we were going were actually kind of traveled and they would have this, they had this like stacked rock, uh, like system where they would stack these rocks in unison to kind of show like a major intersection or something. So it actually kind of helped us establish kind of points of surveillance too. And a lot of the stuff we did on the border so we could track it to the border and everything. Oh, wow. So it was, it was kind of interesting to see what kind of, like nonchalant network that they were establishing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. And and for people who don't know, what is a LURS unit? Uh, a LURS unit is a long-range surveillance unit, typically a five- to six-man team that uh, is deployed forward of the line of travel or you know out away from any type of uh, immediate access. And their main, their main goal is to gather intelligence. Um, they can be just intelligence gathering. They can be high value target, you know, identifiers for follow on assets. Um, but we were, we were primarily used in a intelligence gathering, um, effort in Iraq. 
which was very cool. Uh, the whole Lurse part, you know, being able to go from Ranger Regiment to Lurse was a, a, a huge change because you're going from the door kicker to the, the mission planner and being able to go through our slick, uh, that was a really cool school to really learn mission development, you know, on a, on a much deeper level. And that same principle applies to today even even other types of surveillance missions, other missions that we carry out in our military, in our law enforcement, they're all, this kind of like intelligence gathering step that's just incredibly fascinating. Yeah, well, I mean, or even for for a battalion or any uh, direct action units, everything is intelligence driven. You know, you need that information in, yep. order, in order to know where to you know to, to go next. So, yeah, and that's why Ranger Regiment has RRC Ranger Regiment Ranger reconnaissance company used to be a detachment when I was in now, now they realize that of it's even more importance. So now they have a company and their sole job is to put, you know, provide forward assistance or forward and, um, intelligence gathering for Ranger regiment and, you know, the other guys. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, you know, there's, it's Lurse long range surveillance as a company level, uh, is, under under fire and kind of in contention right now they're standing a lot of it down because they don't see the necessity in it and it's kind of disheartening because there's such a strong necessity for having uh intelligent people that are trained to be able to to go out and actively gather intelligence to create a better picture rather than going blind and i don't know if it's a systematic kind of like we're going to like unmanned surveillance if that's taking over or we're just losing the importance of surveillance i don't know what their uh reasoning behind it is well you know i I will say like kind of just looking at the way the military has done things for the last you know 60 years or whatever um you know depending on who gets elected you know that might determine like if we because you know there's american forces in Iraq, right? Everybody knows that. Absolutely. But not in like the same fashion as when you were there, right? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, typically like a unit like that, like even after Vietnam, like where they, um, they had like the, you know, long range reconnaissance patrols, LERPs, uh, and all that, like some of, a lot of those units were stood down a- after the war drew down, yep. and, you know, and, and they're doing their budget cuts or whatever. So, you know, depending on who gets elected will determine the, uh, you know, the path going forward. Are they going to keep a uh, a smaller footprint as they're, you know, they're calling it in uh, in Iraq, and 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 letting the locals try and fight it out as much as they can, or is there going to be a repeat of two thousand three? You know, who knows? Or is this going to be another Germany where we just populate them for the rest of our lives? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's cr- it's crazy, you know. Like that, it's just so up in the air. Like I, I would actually, I feel, man, I feel so bad for the guys that have to spend anybody that has to spend time over there right now because I would feel like my hands are so freaking tied yeah. that I would not be able to do anything. Like I feel like I have a, lo- a lot of buddies that work for the state department for, you know, all the contractors and stuff. And man, I just can't even imagine how tied their hands are. 
Yeah, now. I mean, the, the rules of engagement are completely, completely oh. different, especially from when you were like when you were in there. Because, yeah. you know, the rules of engagement were a little. Uh, they were a less little, stringent. There you go. And I mean, yeah, the progression from progression from 2001 to the first deployment to 2002 to the second to then 2005 for the third. And then I went to work for Triple Canopy in 2011, like all those different ROEs and, you know, all that stuff had drastically changed. Right, right. I I remember, um, I think it was around the 2011 period where there was like a huge difference. And like I remember in, uh, I remember reading about it in Afghanistan, guys you know, instead of being able to hit a target where they knew there were bad guys there, they had to surround the target and get a uh, an Afghani National Army soldier to, to say on a loudspeaker, you know, this is the Afghan government, come out with your hands up. Like, it's police work. And um, I know guys were getting killed doing that, you know, losing the element of surprise and all that. And um, yeah, I, I remember 2011, there were a few books written from different... Uh, you know, special operations guys from different uh, branches, and they were all talking about the same thing. And um, so I, I can imagine now it's probably even crazier than then. You know? Oh yeah. To, it's just yeah. I, I don't even know what to think of it. It's so. But it. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, but it's interesting times right now for sure. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, if it, like. Right now with the election, it's like two different, completely opposite ends of the spectrum uh, candidates. But but what is interesting, because, you know, Trump is like very aggressive and everything, but I think Hillary is kind of also when it comes to foreign policy and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a um, it's a boiling pot right now, for sure. It's it's about to boil over. And I don't know what it's going to do or when it's going to do it. But man, don't you, do you just feel like there's a shit ton of tension in the country right now? Oh yeah, man. And, and to be it's, honest, I, I, I haven't felt this. I mean, I am 28. I haven't, you know, I've only seen so many elections, but from what I can recall, this is the worst that I've seen, you know? Ah, yeah, man. I mean, it's just like, Everybody is so on edge, just ready to freaking fight to the death for their political views and, you know, for their candidate and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I, 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 I'm, I'm just seeing, I see a lot of division in friends. I yeah. see, I mean, even to myself, like I'll post, I'll post a, a political statement or something on Facebook. And then one of my other f- friends that's kind of, you know, swings the other way will kind of hit me back with something. And sometimes they're real dickish, but yeah. then sometimes, sometimes it makes sense. And I'm like, you know, he makes a really good point. And then I delete what I said. Cause it's just like, ah, why did I think I was smart enough to like post stuff about political shit again? Yeah. You know, I'm glad that I have friends like that. that can kind of be like, Hey, uh, you're not really making sense right here. So <laughs> what well, it's interesting. What's interesting about Facebook is, um, like, and it's just like you said, like, like I don't like to only have people on there that share the same exact views as me. Like I kind of like to have different viewpoints, and I, I feel like that's a good way to get a, f- a better picture. 
And a lot of times, like, you know, I don't really post much political stuff. I feel like right. it's just too much of a headache. But, you know, once in a while you get sucked into a political debate somewhere and um, it's always interesting. Like, I feel like I do learn from these debates, like, you know, from a different perspective, uh, a different tip of information. Um, so it, it is interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. One would hope that you would, and one would hope that anybody would learn from, you know, these debates and these arguments and that two people, two friends especially, could get together and have, you know, a healthy discussion about views without right. going crazy and wanting to fight each other or just losing it. You know, like I have family members that that vote different ways that don't even talk to each other anymore. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like no way they are not that important. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, um, I, I try and like not get sucked into it to that level. You know, I, ha I have my opinion. Everyone has their opinion, but it's, I, it's hard sometimes for sure. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of it, because the truth is like, a lot of what people say on the left or the right and, you know, when they're accusing the other candidate of whatever it is, most of the time it's true. Like what what both sides are saying is true. So essentially people are defending shitty candidates while attacking the other shitty candidate. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I feel like the only real way to like to to put it put it back to the best way it could be is to make the presidency a freaking volunteer job. You, know, you don't get paid anything. You don't get any retirement. No, actually let's just scrap all retirement and all pay from any type of, uh, political position. And then let's see how many people want to do it. Right. Right. And, and then <laughs> it will, you know, that, that'll take out the, um, the aspect where people gain from their position, you know, and, and, and that's really the issue with politics today. I mean, this, yeah, there's a lot of, like, um, it's not just black and white, but I think the most black and white assessment would be that people buy out politicians and that drives policy, you know? You know, and that's, like, and I don't want to get political in any way, but the the one hardcore criteria that I really like is somebody, you know what political experience does for me? It tells me that you've been in the dirty system and you've been able to stay out of the dirty system. And like, I don't feel that there's really many people out there that can, you know, have a good track record like that. But I, I think that's kind of important. And to not have any political experience and be able to run for the top honors, that seems kind of backwards to me. Well, in, in a way, yeah, because, you know, you want because look, at, at this, I think I don't know the exact numbers, but I think. Um, you know, maybe somewhere in, I want to say 60% range or maybe even higher of politicians are all like lawyers, you know? And, right. Um, or, or, you know, you, you, there are a few uh, veterans in there, um, but there aren't many like doctors and engineers. And there are some doctors, but the, but, num but the these, numbers are a lot smaller, you know? Absolutely. But these people are starting at lower levels, you know, like they're getting, they're being a senator or a governor or even lower than that. You know, they're paying their dues. Like you don't, it's, it's just baffling to me. Like, and Trump, you know, it's like with Trump, 
that's the only thing. Like he's a great businessman, but he has, he's held no political office where that's just the whole, like, okay, but it, it, it just, one, it doesn't seem to matter. And yeah. I guess, you know, with really the, the polling across the board of it, I guess it doesn't seem to matter, but it's, that's an opinion of mine of having some form of political background should be like, you don't, you don't hire a JV high school football coach to coach a major league baseball team right on the first day. Right. Right. And I, and I, I could see where you're coming from. Um, you know, running a business is, and, and being very successful in the private sector is completely different from being a public servant, you know, um, and 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 you know Trump has his 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 uh, good qualities and or things that people like about him uh, in in comparison to Hillary Clinton, but you know I I do agree with that assessment that you know being the head the top dog for so many years and snapping your fingers and getting what you want is completely diff- a different dynamic from having to work with people who have different political views from you having a deal with, you know, foreign leaders and, and, and kind of be very crafty in how, in how you lead the country. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe what I'm saying is complete garbage and this dude may get elected because that's what the public wanted and he fucking kills it. And then be like, well, this shoe tastes great. That's what America is great about. Like if, and, and, and that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that the voting process will restore some sort of faith in this country about if the po- if the majority wants one or the candidate or the other and they actually do not fake you know registered people not any type of corruption but if the masses really want one of the candidates and they get elected we win because that's what america is right right and um and and, and I, I agree with you you know and Either candidate, who whoever wins, I do hope that they do a good job, you know, because that will benefit all Americans. And yeah. So, you know, but I, I think out of these two candidates, I think they're like the most unpopular candidates in history. Oh, man. Oh, are they? Jeez. It's, it's so crazy. I mean, it really is just the level of intensity that people are getting at. But, you yeah. know, what? A big, a big part of it, too, is... Social media has created the keyboard commando. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Every, everyone's a lawyer. Everyone's a doctor. Everyone is an expert on, you know what I mean? Like, social media does make it crazy, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's all interesting stuff. And um, the the major who, I'll, I'll, you know, his interview will be played in a little little bit. He, I, I believe he's been in the army for 15 years. He is a doctor. I believe he's a surgeon. I could be wrong. And 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 he's he served his country for a long time. And he he was at the Democratic National Convention on stage uh, behind the uh, four-star Marine General Allen. Yeah. And he was wearing a, a pink turban, you know, to to stand in solidarity with um, the LGBT. Uh, community right and you know he feels strongly about his views which are you know pretty anti-trump um 
But then yeah, hey, I, I heard you saying that. <laughs> yeah, and then you know there are some, you know, in in the same vein, there are, you know, decorated war veterans who are completely a hundred percent anti Hillary. You know. Oh yeah. So you know it's interesting. We'll, you know we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I can. I can. Only thing I will say, I ho- like I said, I hope that. Everyone gets out and votes for the, the candidate they want, and the candidate they, they have researched and found goes with their values. Yeah. That's the bigger part of it. Like, not a blue, not a red, not an independent, but look at the candidates and see who who do you side with or who do you agree with the most. I'll say the most because you're not going to agree 100% with one candidate. Right. If you are, you're you're lying. I'm sorry to say. There is going to be something that a candidate is doing that you're not going to really approve of. Right. So that's all I can say. You know, with the voting, I just hope that everybody exercises their right. You know, and a lot of people are saying, oh, "I'm not voting," or "I'm wasting my vote," and all that kind of stuff. Man, we should be lucky that we even have a vote to do that with. Right. I mean, well, you look. You know, freedom isn't free, man, and um, you know, you'll see it. You'll see it happening now in these in some smaller countries or. Uh, underdeveloped countries, as you know, as they they might say, where people are 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 dying to try and bring that freedom out, you know. Whereas, yeah. You know, in this country, that that happened already, you know. Um, so we're you know we're two hundred plus years past our freedom being won, and you know by through through war and and revolution, and but a, a lot of places in the world are going through theirs theirs now, you know. So yeah. Um, maybe maybe we're on the other other side of it, and it's hard, it's time for us to reset and start throwing tea in the river. <laughs> well, you know, you know it, it happens, man. If you look at history, it, it, it's you know there's evidence of it happening all throughout history. Um, you know, since since the beginning of of man recording history, so uh, it's all interesting stuff. Um, oh yeah. So before we we um before I get into the interview with. Uh, the major can you share your serious war story yeah i was about to get into that Uh, so um you know sound and tradition and things like that it's it's amazing how much they resonate to the core of somebody um i i was unfortunately but fortunate enough to be present when uh, Edmonds and Stone Cipher, the two ca- two first two casualties of the global war on terrorism, were killed. You know, and were KIA. And when they, you know, we were in Oman at this base, and they were getting all of us together, and they were bringing their caskets through, you know, through the hangar that we were all in, and to have those two caskets there, and all of us reciting the Ranger Creed, there was just this like echoing and of of the creed that was just so intense and you know some of these dudes probably hadn't said had said a ranger creed in weeks or months and that that day everybody was just like they had said it five seconds beforehand to practice it was so resonating and now i i remember the same thing uh when I watched, you know, when Instagram and everything started to become popular and videos popped up, one of the first ever like RAS graduations I watched on, 
Instagram from the 75th Ranger Regiment page. They all, you know, recite the Ranger Creed at the end of the graduation and how, how, how much chills it gave me. And it brought me right back to that instance of, and I could, I can visualize it anytime that I hear it, I can visualize being in that hangar and looking at those two caskets and realizing like whatever I do, it's going to be f- so that their, lo- their death is not in vain. And it's right. something that's stuck with me forever. And I think will just that, you know, that deep down kind of intestinal fortitude or like reason for it. You know, if I'm sucking in jujitsu or I'm, you know, sucking on a workout, uh, I know that I can dig down and find that memory and it will charge me back up. And it's just, it's amazing how much that fuels me and is such a, such a part of my, I guess, mental, mental health. And it's why I want to, you know, start establishing groups and guys and linkups for people to get together to experience that camaraderie that we're a lot of, a lot of guys that are out are missing. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the main things that you'll hear from retired veterans, especially guys who are in any kind of infantry unit is what they miss the most is the camaraderie, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what a a very large draw of mine to jujitsu is, um, is the camaraderie. You know, I found that jujitsu and other mixed martial arts, the, the dedication to live a certain way, train a certain way are much higher in that, that like that brotherhood of that you kind of gain from beating the crap out of each other is yeah. is somewhat similar to you know my my days in the military um but i will i will definitely say that nothing will ever replace being with my brothers and that's why you know like i just i love going on hikes and climbing trips we just we just live a different way now you know i don't i don't have very many civilian friends that are willing to want to go walk 27 miles in the mountains with me. Right. Like that's, you know, they just, they don't want to do it. And doing that stuff is getting more and more popular, but it's getting popular on a grand level, like civilians or people, they want to do these cool events, but it's like, Oh, I want to go, you know, do all the 14ers or something, or I want to go do that. But, but like, Hey, you want to go, you know, hike and do a 12 miler and overnight where I, where we live. Oh no, that's boring. Like we can do that. We don't have to, we don't have to go to Everest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm trying, and that's a a big part. Like I'm trying to fill a gap. Um, because there's so many, there's so many like veteran run organizations out there now that I've done the research on it that are providing like long distance, long range, extreme trips. Um, you know, week long, two weeks long, stuff like that where they're they're providing these trips free of charge for veterans um but from i guess my experience as a worker i don't think i couldn't take off a week or two weeks from work to go to uh you know some do something like that so i want to fill a gap where i can meet some guys that live around me and we can plan like hey let's go hiking from friday to sunday like that's a feasible thing to do and we can slowly grow that network not only do you know, exist with other people with the like mentality, but also to, to start establishing our network here. Like, I don't, I feel like I don't know very many veterans. 
or especially soft veterans. And if things were ever to kind of go south, I would kind of like to know where they live and have actually met them so we can rally together maybe. Right. You know, th- that kind of thing. So meeting and being together, it's just a win-win. And that, and that just fuels that, the, that drug of camaraderie, you know. I, I definitely notice when I, I, when I haven't done jujitsu or I haven't, like, hung out with some veterans. It's, it's real nice. <laughs> so um, can you – do you have any points of contact or, or social media handles you would like the listeners to be able to reach you at? Um, yeah, you can, uh, they can follow my personal one at Mahoney Mo Problems. Uh, that's my personal one. And, um, my veteran outreach group is called Ranger Rally Point. Um, it's kind of small, so if we can get some shares and likes on it and build the audience. Uh, I'd really like to start getting that idea across to hopefully motivate some other people to establish some short-term or some local groups near them to where they can start, you know, linking up together and meeting, doing, doing whatever, you know, it could be playing chess. It could be going on hikes, climbing, who knows? But as long as we get like-minded people together, I, I think that's a win for us. I think that's going to do a lot better in the world of, of helping us mentally kind of exist outside of the military than, bitching that the VA isn't taking care of me, you know? Right. So. And, and th- I, th- those are on Instagram? Those, those yeah, are- Instagram. Yeah, I, the Instagram for is my main source of kind of social media presence. I have, uh, you know, b- both Facebook and Instagram accounts for both of those. So if you want to go to the Range Rally Point Facebook page and like it, that's where I do all my postings. So I'm trying to establish one one free outdoor event a month. We have a uh, stand-up paddleboard event happening in on August 20th in Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. Uh, Wrightsville Beach Surf Camp has been gracious enough to donate whatever, however many boards that we want to use for a stand-up paddleboard cruise through the intercoastal. We've got I've got buddies that live down there that are going to take us some some really cool spots, and it'll just be a time for us. Kind of get together and tell dirty jokes and you know start to start to link up and start meeting people and then i have some hiking trip a hiking trip planned in september uh climbing trip planned in october and then from there i just want to get feedback from people and hopefully plan some more and my my idea is to get local guide companies to kind of help out with logistics or equipment loadouts and just really get the community together. So I get my veterans, brothers that want to go on these trips, and I get civilian companies that are willing to help out and kind of bridge the gap between both of them. And who knows? One of those vets might enjoy going on that trip enough that he becomes a guide for that company and you know, fulfills a passion of his. So Right, yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, well, at the end of the – like when the show is done – um, I have the links up on my website. Okay. I'll and, you want me to send you the links to all of them? Yeah, just send me the links. And um, w- w- I have it set up on what we call the podcast notes. And, nice. Um, so we'll have all the links there so people can check you out on social media. Well, I appreciate it. And anybody that wants to follow, I post a lot of weird shit. So <laughs> beware. <laughs> um, you know, so I just want to thank you for, um, you know, taking the time to have this discussion with me. 
and I want to thank you for your service and everything that you've done for this country. I, I appreciate it very much. Thank you for letting me come on here and uh, talk for a little while, and uh, I hope that one day we can get up and meet on one of these link-ups, too, and you can be a part of it. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. I mean, I, I know a lot of people down in uh, North Carolina, so maybe I'm, I'll take a trip out there and uh, we can link up. I would love that. All right, brother. Thank you for coming on, man. All right. Thank you. I had a good time talking with Bryce. He's an interesting guy, and, uh, you know, we hope to have him back on. Bryce has events that he does with veterans every year around Memorial Day, so, you know, perhaps we can get him on to discuss these events. And also another thing, Bryce is very big into the uh, combatives, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I know that's very big in the veteran community, so... We will probably have Bryce back on to talk about um, combatives. So now I will play the conversation that I had with Army Major Kamal Cosley. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, for this episode, I have the privilege of having on Army Major Kamal Cosley. Uh, some of you may know the major as he was, he received some media coverage for a few different things and and we'll get into that in a second uh major how's it going great great it's great to be on your show uh, thank you no thank you for coming on so 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 we'll get into it um you w one of the main reasons why you would receive some media attention is because you like many others um have had an issue with trying to maintain your identity while serving in the U.S. Army. Um, and can you just explain a little bit of what that was initially? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, Sikhs have uh, uh, served uh, for uh, generations in the U.S. military, actually. We have these beautiful historical photos from the early 1900s that show Sikh soldiers uh, uh, serving in the Army, serving in the in the Air Force, serving in the Marine, uh, sorry, in the Navy. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until the early 1980s uh, that Sikhs were actually uh, banned from joining the military with our Articles of Faith uh, because of a policy change. Uh, but uh, so uh, when I joined the Army in 2001, uh, about eight months before 9-11, I, uh, you know, a medical a recruiter came to medical school and said, "Hey, would you, would you like to join?" I, you know, I jumped at the opportunity because, uh, you know, I come from three generations of military service. My my father and my grandfather were both both in the Indian Air Force. My great grandfather was in the Royal British Army, and so, you know, it, it's, it's it's sort of family tradition, and it's what we do as as Sikhs. You know the. Uh, the warrior ethos uh, is, is strong and uh, is a strong part of our heritage. It's a strong part of our uh, religious indoctrination. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's in our blood. It's who we are. So I, I joined the military in 2001 and, you know, really s s had no issues. You know, occasionally I was uh, went on active duty assignments to uh, uh, West Point and uh, – uh, Travis Air Force Base didn't really have any issues, and then uh, in uh, 2008, uh, as I was finishing my my residency, I, I reached out to my chain of command and let them know, hey, 
look, I'm, I'm about to come on full-time active duty uh, from the reserves and just want to let you know that uh, uh, I have a turban and beard. It hasn't been an issue so far. And the initial response was, yeah, uh, uh, we, have, uh, uh, we have Sikhs in the Army, uh, no problem. Uh, it wasn't until like a, a month later uh, that I got a, another call, uh, a very different call from my chain of command saying, well, we looked into the regs and uh, because of AR 670-1, because of AR 600-20, we, uh, we need you to put in uh, an accommodation request uh, in order to keep your uh, religiously mandated turban and beard. So we, you know, it was an amicable process. We, we worked through it, uh, but it took me it took me a, a year and a half of paperwork. Uh, it took 50 congressional uh, signatures on a letter to Secretary of Defense Gates at the time. It took 15,000 petitioners on a similar letter to him. It took pressure from the White House. It took half a million dollars in lobbying just to get me in. And that, uh, you know, that's, that's, it's unfair and uh, it's un-American. So what we, uh, we, we've been doing over the last... Uh, eight years now is very systematically pushing to get more sick recruits in, uh, you know, with their turbans and beards. And so there are eight of us now, uh, but the policy still remains. And so we're, 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 we're fighting hard to, to change that policy, not just for, not just for me or, or us, uh, but, uh, really for everybody. Cause, uh, the, the military being the largest employer in the United States, if they can tell me that my religion doesn't matter, that, uh, you know, that they have difficulty operationalizing uh, my accommodation requests, and then uh, truly they can say that to any religious minority uh, or majority, right? They can make the same arguments for, for Christians and Jews and Muslims. So uh, this is, this is a, a fight for American values. You know, the, the first uh, settlers that came to uh, the United States or to this country, to this land, were came here looking for religious freedom. So I, I feel that this fight uh, lives on in that tr- that same tradition, that struggle for for religious freedom. Um, you know, when when we were going through uh, discussions with the Pentagon about. Um, you know, how to actually do this. Uh, they asked me some very, very simple questions. They said, hey, can you wear a helmet? And I, I told them with my sort of bandana-like turban, I can easily wear a helmet. Can you get a good seal with the, with the gas mask? And uh, I said, absolutely. You know, part of my background is in, uh, I subspecialize in disaster medicine. So I've, I've worn a gas mask on, on many occasions, gotten a good seal. Um, and they didn't just take my word for it. They put me through uh, several times and tested me. And, uh, you know, they, they said, yep, you got a good seal. Uh, and then the, the last argument they, they were concerned about was unit cohesion or esprit de corps. And let me tell you, every, everybody I deployed with um, knows and remembers me as their friend. Uh, never had any issue with any of my soldiers. Um, you know, I, the the esprit de corps argument is really the same argument that was used against African African Americans back in the day when when they were being segregated out of the out of the military, or 
or Asian, other Asian Americans, or, or actually even women, women and uh, our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we feel like we're doing this uh, for a higher cause and a higher purpose. And, uh, you know, the, the 80,000 sick soldiers that died serving in the trenches of World Wars I and II never needed an accommodation. You know, they were able to just serve. So we, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping that the United States uh, takes a page from modern militaries like the, the Canada and the UK and India uh, you know, uh, and allows six soldiers in those countries, uh, we don't have to seek an accommodation. You can just show up to the recruiter's office, sign on the dotted line and you're in, uh, you know, provided that you, you, you meet their, uh, uh pass their testing. Um, in fact, uh, Canada's current, uh, uh, minister of defense, uh, is a, is a Sikh, you know, minister Sajjan. So that in a nutshell, is what we're trying to do. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, like you said, prior to the 1980s, that wasn't an issue. And then, you know, you see on Facebook or social media, I've seen articles posted, you know, that were written about you and talking about your, your struggle. And then, of course, you know, people are commenting and you'll get people who agree, people who disagree and a lot of the people who seem to disagree are, are, you know, this is the military, you know, everything goes out the window once you sign up that line. And, you know, once you sign up, we're all the same and, and religion doesn't matter. And, and that's the basis of their argument against it. Uh, not knowing the history, like you just illustrated, of you know, how many Sikhs died serving this country, you know, during the greatest wars in the history of the world. So, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, had people done their research, I think their opinions would be a little different. And, you know, just my opinion, I feel like if it doesn't, uh, you know, hinder your ability to serve, like you said, to wear a helmet or wear a gas mask, uh, I don't think there should be an issue. And it, it's quite interesting because I know the Sikhs have a, a rich warrior history. Yeah, um, absolutely. In fact, um, back in the day, uh, there was a time when, uh, during the Mughal invasions of uh, what's today India, uh, Sikhs were being hunted. Uh, and you could actually, uh, the, the Mughal kingdom hated us so much uh, that they actually put a price on every Sikh head. Doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, or child, they would pay you if you cut off a Sikh's head and, and brought it to their, to their, uh, to their court. Um, the, the Mughals primarily hated us so much is because we stood up against their tyranny and their policies of forced religious conversion. Um, you know, and we did that not just for us, but for, uh, for all the other religious minorities in the area, you know, the, the Buddhists and the Hindus, um, and, and any other minorities that were there. Um, we've never believed in, uh, forced religious conversions. And we, so we, we fought back against that. Um, and there was a time during that very dark period that we were almost hunted to extinction. Uh, and our 10th prophet, Guru Gobind Singh, um, said, look, you can, uh, you can hunt us if you want, but we'll never hide from you. 
And that's when we started tying our turbans really as a mark of identity uh, so that we would be recognized, so that we could never hide, so that we could answer that call to social justice. You know, one of the, one of the things that we carry, uh, that, that Sikhs are supposed to carry upon the person is, is a sword or a dagger, you know, obviously for, you know, self-defense, but also to defend others. And it's, it's a very memorable symbol uh, of our uh, responsibility to social justice. You know, if I, if I can't stand up for my neighbor, um, then I'm not a good Sikh. And so from this type of philosophy uh, came out our very, very rich military history um, and our uh, dedication to military service. That's why uh, in India at one point, even though we made up only 2% of the population, we were a third of the military and a third of the police. So, you know, not being able to serve here really strikes at the core of, of who we are, you know, and it's, it's very disheartening. And that's why it's such a big issue for us. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, you know, anyone who's willing to put on the uniform, you know, and serve this great country, I think they should be allowed to do so, you know, keeping in mind that there are standards and, and requirements as long as you meet them, you know? Yeah, and absolutely. It's interesting. Actually, I have a friend of mine who I, I'll probably get on the show at some point, and, and he's a, a Muslim American, and he is a combat veteran with uh, multiple deployments, uh, you know, overseas. And he says even for him it's a struggle, you know, just being a Muslim uh, in the U.S. Army. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's gotten, you know, it's got the atmosphere has sort of gotten more difficult during this uh, political campaign. You know, the rhetoric that's flying around uh, really has polarized uh, uh, polarized uh, our nation and has, in, in many cases, uh, divided us. And it's very sad. Yeah, it's 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 gotten very ugly, and you know I'm I'm only I'm 27, so I you know I I'm I can't say you know the last 40 50 years of what campaigning has been like for presidential runs, but you know I can say for sure this is the ugliest one that I've seen um, in terms of the division that is creating. You know, obviously there will be division because there are some. Uh, core differences in ideology between the left and the right of course um but not to this level you know not to the level of what's seemingly looking more and more like hatred and and bigotry and and uh things like that so you're right you're right you know i uh uh you know i was uh fortunate that i got to uh stand uh stand on stage with uh my friend uh, General Allen uh, is a four-star Marine general uh, in, in support of his speech at the DNC. You know, I, I, I feel strongly that, uh, uh, that to be commander-in-chief, you, you need to have a particular uh, set of skills. You know, you need to be uh, able to listen to people. You need to to have a thick skin, you need to be able to uh, uh, connect with all people, you know, not just people from a particular uh, group. 
And, uh, you know, for the life of me, I, I, I don't see that Donald Trump is that, that person. I mean, he, he doesn't, he doesn't even understand the first thing about sacrifice. He took, um, he took a gentleman's, uh, he was given a gentleman's purple heart and he took it, you know, very flippancy, yeah. flippantly saying that, uh, oh, it's a lot easier this way. You know, a guy that, that doesn't truly understand sacrifice. I mean, that's what I take away from it. That, that you know, he, 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 he took this guy's, uh, purple heart that he, he doesn't really understand what it means, uh, what it means to all of us. Um, you know, you have to earn that. You can't just take it. Even if somebody gives it to you, you know, how, how can you accept something like that? Um, you know, it just, it, it left a bad taste in my mouth. And then that whole, uh, ordeal between, you know, the, the back and forth, uh, with Mr. Khan, uh, you know, the, the gold star family, uh, over his, uh, over his remarks at the DNC, uh, what was also very telling, you know, a, a commander in chief needs to, uh, needs to have a thick skin. And, and, you know, I, I just, uh, I was very disappointed in Trump's response there. And I, I think that, uh, you know, given, given what he's shown us this far, uh, statements he's made, you know, stuff like, Oh, oh I know more about ISIS than our generals. You know, I think, uh, uh, shows a <laughs> severe misunderstanding on his part. Um, um, uh, you know, all, all the commanders that I've I've ever deployed with or ever worked under have had such a profound uh, humility about them. You know, and that's 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 changed me in in my approach to things, in my approach to leadership. Um, and I don't see that type of humility in Donald Trump. And that's concerning. I think he he formed he he is a very unique national security threat. Uh, you know, if he were to become uh, commander in chief, I mean, would you would you trust this guy with uh, with the nuclear codes? Would you trust this guy to do a negotiation? Uh, you know, he, a guy that's that's uh, baited by by tweets and uh, you know comments uh, from a gold star family. It's, uh, it's crazy, you know, and he doesn't even have the patience to, to talk through a crying baby, you know, for God's sakes, he throws babies out of his, his audience, you know, and, and so a guy like that, uh, I think doesn't have the character, um, uh, uh, to, to be, uh, to be our commander in chief or to, to represent the greatest military in the world. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because. You know, from there's several like polls out there and and things like that that say like that out of these two candidates, they're like the two most unpopular candidates in history, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Hey, I think we need to hold both of their feet to the fire, and you know, I I think every public servant needs to be um, held to a high standard. So, yeah, I mean, look, Hillary's no rose either, right? She. She definitely has uh, uh, some issues that she has to work through. But if in whole you take the sum of what she represents and what she has done uh, and you take all of her experience, she is a far, far better candidate 
than, than the mess that is Donald Trump. I mean, even his own party's leaders are, are running away from him. And I, I predict over the next several months, we will see, um, you know, other Republican leaders, uh, 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 you know, run from his platform. I mean, just recently, Governor Christie in New Jersey, uh, you know, distanced himself from, from Trump stating that, uh, you know, Trump's remarks against the Khan family were, you know, in, in poor taste. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. And I think uh, Republican leadership is going to come to the realization that Trump uh, doesn't represent them and, it, and he doesn't represent uh, American ideals. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, like, so all, like on my social media, on my Facebook, like my personal Facebook, I have a lot, you know, I have a lot of friends, right? So I'll have, and then with a lot of friends comes with a lot of viewpoints. So like, I'll literally scroll down my newsfeed and you'll, and I'll see like, you know, pro-Trump, anti-Trump post, you know, left and right or pro-Hillary, anti-Hillary kind of thing. And yep. Um, obviously there are issues that both candidates have that, um, don't endear them to the American people. Yep. Um, but for me, like the, one of the biggest issues that I have with Trump is obviously it's his behavior and, and then people say, oh, well, you know, he just speaks his mind and, and, and that's a good thing. But I don't know. I just feel like, like you said, like that temperament isn't the right temperament. And I think it's kind of a reflection of his life. I mean, he's been this super rich guy for the last, what, 55 years, whatever it was, 60 years. And I think he's used to just kind of snapping his fingers and getting his way. Yeah. And I I think that is a completely different dynamic uh, when you are a business owner and and you're calling the shots versus you are a public servant and you serve the people and the people don't serve you. And I think, to me, that's the biggest um, issue that I have with Trump. Yeah. And and then that's not, you know, and, and a lot of times, like, if you'll say something against Trump, you know, people will automatically assume you support Hillary and things like that. And, it's, and like you said, it's not to it's not just to say, oh, I support this candidate or I support that candidate. It's putting the fire to the feet of our public servants, you know? Absolutely. You know, it's it, the Trump name has been synonymous with, like, luxury and excess. Uh, he, you know, he's never had to sacrifice a day in his life. Uh, he's never had to. Uh, when, when, they, when they put that question to him, actually, on, on, uh, uh, on TV, uh, you know, he didn't really have a good answer. You know, he said... Uh, Something like, yeah, I've sacrificed, I've created jobs, you know, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, just has, he just has these ridiculous responses. Um, and I, 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 want, I want an intellectual uh, in the White House. I want, a, I want somebody that, uh, you know, that can negotiate the deal uh, without having to uh, send our troops to war. Or as he's said it, you know, without, you know, uh, uh, having to carpet bomb, like, you know, the Middle East. So, you know, when we send our sons and daughters to war, you know, my brothers and sisters, um, whoever's doing that really needs to have a great appreciation uh, for what, what that's worth, what, what that means 
Um, and and I, I just don't see that Trump understands that. You know, he's made that abundantly clear to us in, in the last several weeks. So I, 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 I'm very scared um, that, uh, you know, a, a Trump uh, candidacy could become a Trump presidency uh, where he's actually controlling our military and uh, doesn't actually understand who we are or how, uh, what we represent. Yeah, and you know, and and uh, you know, specifically for the show, obviously everyone has their personal opinions, but for the show, we you know we stay pretty apolitical and just of course you know down the line. But I will say, like when have you know when they ask him questions, you know, regarding foreign policy, like they ask him a question about uh, Putin and the Ukraine, and he's like, oh well, Putin's not not going to the Ukraine, and it's like, did he just say that? Um, you know, Putin's been there for two years now. Right. And it's, right. It, and his special forces have been there longer than that, you know. Right. And uh, so it, it's he, he's repeatedly said, made these types of missteps. Um, and it's because uh, he doesn't listen to the people that are around him, number one, and that he doesn't have the, you know, expertise of, uh, of people around him. And that's what we can expect of him of his administration, right? You know, uh, if he doesn't have the answers now, how the hell is he going to have the answers later? So, uh, again, it's scary. And in, in any democracy, I think, uh, or even any form of government, you're, you're judged by how you treat, uh, you know, the smallest of voices, the, the, the people that don't have a bank account, the people that, uh, that are struggling, you know, and if Don, if Donald Trump's not listening to his own advisors, right? We we know he goes off script all the time. Um, you know, how can we expect that he'll listen to us? You know, the the little voices. Uh, yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting you say that because anyone who studies like you know great military leaders or or great uh, philosophers uh, can kind of appreciate that sentiment. Um, and I was having a conversation with the guy yesterday who is, um, you know, I'm not going to say his name, but he is someone who is well-versed in world affairs and things like that. And, and, uh, and we're, we're, we're just walking and we're talking and, and we're talking about different special operations units and, and not to throw shade on anybody, you know, obviously anyone who serves and specifically makes it into one of these special ops units, uh, uh, it's a very difficult thing to do and, uh, you know, it requires a certain temperament and uh, a c- combination of a lot of things, right? So what he said was the reason why he in particular uh, likes the Army Special Forces Green Berets is because not only do they have that direct action component, you know, that the, the high level of uh, operational skills required, you know, to fight wars, they also have that uh, humanity to them. Um, you know, they'll also, uh, you know, hold the child's hand and, uh, and, and try and teach. And, and to him, that was what he felt like made a difference, uh, in, in that level. And I think, yeah, when, yeah, you know, when you talk about leadership of, of, you know, of the country, I think you want to have a similar, uh, quality and whoever's leading. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we do so much in the, so much more in the military than just uh, drop bombs and, and shoot guns. You know, we 
we do a lot of humanitarian work. We do a lot of infrastructure work. We do, uh, you know, we do all these things that that actually help people and help the world uh, be a better place. And uh, I think we need a commander in chief that really understands that. So I uh, uh, I got to run right now, but uh, I really really appreciate this. We can pick up uh, a little later if you want. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely, no problem. Uh, you know, I just want to thank you for coming on and uh, taking out some time to do this. No, no, it was a pleasure and an honor. So we'll uh, we'll we'll text you a little later. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, brother. It was an interesting conversation with the major. I learned a little bit talking to him. Uh, hopefully, you guys can learn some of the history of Sikhs and their warrior history and some of the history of their service to this country. Um, what I did not know that it was bef- until 1980s, sometime during the 80s, when they made this rule that you couldn't uh, fully embrace your religious culture while serving in the U.S. military. So it's all interesting and it's all, uh, you know, perspective and, and understand history because I know this is a, something that was being debated even now with different religions wanting to uh, wear religious garments while serving in the U.S. military. So, um, you know, the the major feels very strongly about his political views. Um you know, like I said, one thing on the show is we keep it very neutral and we just like to get the viewpoints of veterans out there for you guys to uh, be able to hear from them. So I just want to thank the major once again for coming on. And uh, I want to thank all the listeners for the continued support for the show. Uh, it was I had a great time this weekend with uh, Two Lamb coming out to New York City and teaching his one of his Blade seminars. And it was very interesting, and it's actually gotten me very interested in it. And I will definitely be looking to train in some of the the blade arts, uh, you know, going forward. So my website is globalrecon.net. My Facebook is FB Recon. I have two Instagram accounts. One is IG Recon. The second is Global Recon underscore Inc. I'm also on Twitter at IG Recon. And we are on LinkedIn as well at Global Recon. I encourage all of the listeners to download, subscribe to our episodes on iTunes. Uh, That will help keep us in the top of the category for government and national. And, um, you know, we'll see you guys in a couple of days.